welcome to our December Empower Women series podcast. This month we'll be talking to Elizabeth O'Neill of Common Law Group right here in Lexington Center about planning for everything you own and everyone you love. We love having Liz speak. She's super clear and easy to understand and I think this is a great episode to save and refer back to. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to highlight our next two Empower Women series events. Going into 2022, the Empower Women series events will continue to be held the second Tuesday of every month at noon. Our January event is titled Why We Need Need Movement and is hosted by Teresa Quinn, who's a registered yoga teacher. I know during the pandemic, I found myself sitting more than I would have liked And I think this episode will be a great way to kickstart the new year and maybe develop new practices starting 2022. Our February event is hosted by Karen Mariscal and is titled How to Keep Money Issues from Diminishing the Joy of Raising Special Needs Children. I think this will be a great and really informative event and I'm looking forward to that event as well. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. So thank you for joining today's Empower Women series podcast. We have Elizabeth O'Neill, who is an attorney at a local firm in Lexington, right near our offices in downtown Lexington, Massachusetts, uh, Constant Law Group. So today we're thrilled to have you here talking about planning for everything you own and everyone you love. So lots of complex things going on um, in the estate planning world and there's been proposed changes to laws and things like that. But I thought we could just step back and um, from a very basic level and just talk a little bit about some of the estate planning basics maybe, if we could start there first. Sounds good, thank you, nice to be here. So um, tell us, so I know we talked a little bit about the different reasons you plan. Talk through some of those things for us. Yeah, so um, in general, when you're thinking about um, an estate plan, um, I think it's good to be guided by a few things. One is you want to put people in place um, that you pick, that you decide, that are going to be making decisions for you. And that's both while you're still alive and maybe you're incapacitated and incapacitated can mean either you know out of the country or it can mean in a hospital. So it's your opportunity to really designate who's going to be in those positions to handle your affairs or make medical decisions for you. And then the other reason that sort of helps to guide this a lot is um, a desire to maintain a certain level of, maintain a certain level of privacy and to kind of reduce the need to involve the court system. So I like, you know, the, the incapacity planning is interesting because today with the world of travel and sometimes people getting stuck in certain locations that to, to think about being stuck out of the country as um, being incapacitated is interesting. And I bet a lot of people aren't thinking about that. So that is super important. So we have a client actually who is you know, Chinese and um, is a business person and who actually, you know, is stuck in China. Um, and before he left, you know, that was a possibility and we made sure that everything was kind of in place so that people could manage as needed. And he wouldn't have to worry about even getting to an embassy to get a signature, but he had a power of attorney put in place just for that purpose. Um, that's so great. it does, it does come up and it's yeah. good to be prepared. Yeah. That's great. And the privacy thing, I think I've, I've heard you say before that um, upon someone's death, that their will is actually made public. So if the will has different information, 
um, and doesn't just name a trust, then people are really um, seeing people's private information. Yeah, and I, I think, don't... you know, I often, when I reflect on this, I think about how much has changed in terms of our access to information from our own laptops in our own homes. You know, um, prior to that, um, prior to everything being online, you would literally have had to gone physically to a courthouse to snoop around to look at somebody else's will, to know the docket number, to have someone, it still would have been a publicly available to you. That's part of the way our system, legal system works when it comes to probate and to wills. But the difference now is you can search court dockets, click on Middlesex County probate, put in someone's last name and first name. And if they have died and their family has gone through the process to be appointed as a personal representative or you know, handle their, their affairs, you can click on their will and see who they've left money to, who is getting what. Now that's a certain type of will that sort of I would call a standard will, kind of maybe the will everyone thinks about when they're thinking about their will. But there are other types of wills and the other type that broadly I would nickname as a, as a pour over will. And those wills are wills that people have that are still publicly available, are still something you can find on online, but those are wills that pour over someone's property into a trust that they've also already established. So in that case, all you're reading about on their will that you're clicking on online is that they are pouring over their property into their trust. And there's no, there's no detail then. You don't know who they're giving to what. You don't know what they own. You don't see, you don't see any other detail. So there, that's where some of these, you know, working with an estate planning attorney to understand those distinctions, because everyone's different with how they want to handle their personal affairs and their privacy. I think maintaining a high level of privacy is a, is a good thing. Um, it protects those that you're giving money to from other people knowing that they're getting that money. But it's good to know what is out there and what is, what is accessible publicly. I think when you're to help guide your um, decisions about right. your estate plan. And it gives, definitely gives people peace of mind as well. Um, so talk, so objectives, right? How, and I, I read some of your presentation material and how to shape what happens when you're, when you're unable to manage your affairs. Talk about those things. Yeah, so I think it's really important to make sure that you have certain directives in place, uh, specifically a power of attorney. And that really it relates to your financial uh, matters. So anything that you need to signature, um, anything that have to do with the bank or investments, the durable power of attorney. Um, and I think it's important that it's effective as soon as you sign it. There are certain types of powers of attorney that only um, spring into action when you're incapacitated. And there are a few more hoops that you have to jump through. So that's something that's discussed with your attorney about those options. But just remember power of attorney. Everyone should probably have one in case they can't handle their own things. It gets you a place where you get to choose who's managing your affairs. Medical decisions, healthcare proxy. Massachusetts, you can designate an agent who would be able to step in and make medical decisions on your behalf if you're unable to do so. This is also really important to think about for your adult age children. Life happens. If anything we've learned, that's so true. Um, but, you know, stuff happens in children that are over 18 um, and kind of in that sweet spot, I'd say between 18 and 26 or 28, or maybe they haven't yet, you know, partnered with somebody else, a significant other, 
Um, you want to be able, as their parent, to still be in a place of decision making. I I believe um, you want to be able to have that authority to be able right. to take care of them if anything ever happens. Yeah, so, and you had a, a you had a personal life experience here. If you if you don't mind sharing, I think no, it's pretty I'd be happy impactful. To, especially, yeah. um, no, it, it really brings it all home. On uh, so yeah, so I have four children. Uh, luckily, really, all of them have been pretty unremarkable health very healthy. Um, they're all pretty athletic. My one son, um, who, when he was 22, he had just graduated. This was in uh, June of 2020. He just graduated from college. He had been a four-year um, college basketball player, as captain of the team. Uh, and I only emphasize that because he was extremely healthy and had had his physical health monitored, you know, very carefully for years because of that. Went to Johns Hopkins. That's, that, that's where he had been at evaluated all those years while playing basketball. So he goes into cardiac arrest on June 1st, completely out of the blue, like unbeknownst to any of us, there was a uh, genetic predisposition to a certain type of arrhythmia. And he, um, and luckily in that moment, we were home. Uh, Very luckily, uh, due to my years of uh, being a preschool teacher, I knew CPR. I put out a shout out to anybody out there who's thinking they should learn it. Go learn the basics. You'll be so, I hope you never need to them, but I'm so glad I knew what to do. So, um, you know, hours later, we're at Leahy Clinic in Burlington and um, he's in a medically induced coma and the doctors are coming to us to ask some questions about would we authorize certain types of medications? And then and they asked, are you, do you, are you his healthcare agent? And, and luckily, um, we had just that Christmas before put those papers in place. And I was able to answer honestly, yes, I am. And I, I'm, I don't know what would have happened in that moment if I had said, no, actually, I'm not. And um, I think it can get very complicated um, if, if, if you don't have those in place. So it is a super scary story. I can report that my son survived, that he's doing well. He's, um, you know, he's back to normal as much as possible. Um, he may not play basketball again, but he can do just about anything else. And uh, so, yeah, so, so, so many, many estate planning attorneys will be more than happy to work with your um, adult children. So while you're thinking about things for yourself, if you happen to have children that, again, are in that kind of 18 to 28, that sort of sweet spot, talk to them also about putting some things in place. Um, yep. it, could, it could be really important to you. I, ho- I hope I hope it's the type of paper that you don't ever need. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's crazy stuff. So I'm glad I'm glad everything worked out. Thank you. Um, so so we have durable power of attorney. We have the healthcare proxy. Um, we have the HIPAA form, and then there's a successor trustee. Tell us about that. Right. So for for people that have established a state plan that has a trust um, in it. When you set up a trust, and I'm specifically really referring in this context to like a revocable living trust, um, you'll name an initial trustee. And often that tends to be the same person as the settlor, the person who's establishing the trust. It doesn't have to be, but often it is one and the same. And then you'll also name a successor trustee. And the successor trustee is someone who can step into your shoes and you know whether you're incapacitated or uh, upon your death. I can tell a quick story about um, a recent story about a client as a, um, a woman who uh, does not have children, lives alone, um, had had some, had some 
different health issues come up for her. And then sadly over the summer had a stroke and quickly found herself in need of um, assisted living care. And she probably won't ever be able to return to her home, but she had set up her estate plan. She had a trust and she had named her sister who lives out of state as successor trustee. So when this all happens and our client is now, you know, first in the hospital and then having to transition to um, a different type of care, uh, because that was all in place, her sister, even again, out of state, was able to step right into the shoes of successor trustee by signing an affidavit of acceptance of that role, um, which can be handled very simply. She didn't have to fly to Massachusetts to do that. She could do it where she was and she could go right to the local bank branch with that documentation, with a copy of the pages from the trust, with the notification from the doctor that a client was incapacitated and she could write the check that needed to be written to, to, set, to save the spot in this, in this particular case, in this great assisted living place that was gonna also be able to take um, our client's cat, which was really, really, might not sound like a lot, but in this scenario was a lot. That was really important. I think she would have lost the spot if, if we were tied up in more legal machinations and having to go to court or anything like that. So that's a, it's like a great example of how a successor trustee can step right into the shoes. And, and I want to just make a quick, simple point on that. A lot of people set up trusts and they feel great. They walk out with their binders and or with their pages and they feel like, whew, great, I, I got that set up, now I'm all set. The second piece that's really important is making sure that your assets are integrated or funding your trust. So the great right. story about this particular client is, yep, she had done her, gotten her estate plan set up and set up her successor trustee, but she also had made sure that all of the assets that she had, the Bank of America account, the, um, she had another account with a trust company in, in, uh, in another state. All of it was linked. So as soon as her sister stepped in as the successor trustee, she had access to all those funds. And that's a really important per piece for anybody who's listening, who has an estate plan, who has a trust, do some homework. Make sure that on your statements of whatever you're getting, your trust is, you can see the name of your trust. Because if you can't, it's probably not connected. And that's a really important thing to make sure that you do. Yeah, um, so super, that your trust actually works. Super important. I mean, all too many times we, we meet with clients and we say, you know, when was the last time you've updated your estate plan? And they say, oh, I just did it. And then we look and, you know, we're in process of transferring their accounts over or taking over their accounts. And we say, hmm, well, you didn't read titles. So let's make sure we get that done. So I think a lot of times that is a disconnect or a missing step. So Glad you pointed it out. It and actually, super, super you know, um, every time we have somebody who has a, a financial advisor like yourself, like, like the people at Lexington Wealth Management, we're thrilled. And especially Lexington Wealth Management because we know that it's going to get done properly. And, <laughs> um, and it's something that is so important and it's such a great partnership. And, and, it, and it's, um, it, it's a critical follow through that needs to happen. Yeah, thank you. Um, so now most people, you know, when they think about estate planning, they they don't really think about the things that need to happen while they are living. So that was really great. But most of the time, it's for what happens when they die. And so talk us through a little bit about, you know, when you have a plan versus when you don't have a plan, what things might look like. 
Yeah, so that's a really good point. So now, yeah, now we'll talk about the area of, of, of um, after someone dies from sort of a legal perspective. And um, I'll first talk about what happens if you don't have a plan. So say to something you never get around to and um, you die and you don't have anything in place. So right off the bat, and this is actually true either case, your assets will be frozen um, until, um, uh, until steps are taken. So without an estate plan in place, it means your family will have to go um, to court, um, that the court will have to be involved in figuring out who should be put in the place of authority. Um, sometimes that can go smoothly if everyone or say all your, if you have children, if they're all in agreement that, that so-and-so should, should have that role. Sometimes it doesn't go as smoothly because different children might be arguing about who should be in charge. Um, so that can be a protracted legal situation that's unfortunate. Obviously, this is coming at a time for your family when it's really upsetting. Um, losing a parent um, is always a hard thing to go through for children or for family members. So um, um, the courts would have to be involved and the family potentially would, would go through a harder time than is probably necessary. And then another really important piece is that any possibility that um, you could reduce or eliminate the taxes owed, um, the death taxes owed, especially to the Commonwealth, if you're a resident of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, um, there is an, a state tax at a million dollars, um, anything above a million dollars. And um, without an estate plan, there's nothing in place that could potentially reduce or eliminate that uh, any tax owed. With an estate plan, um, just like that example I just gave about somebody who um, you know, became incapacitated, that same mechanism of successor trustee can step in upon someone's death. So when someone dies, as soon as they accept the role of successor trustee, again, by signing a very simple document prepared by an attorney, um, they can step right in and start managing the person's finances, paying the funeral home, paying um, any legal expenses, paying for the reception that might have happened after the funeral. Um, and in this case, too, you're just reducing the court's involvement. That's going to enhance the privacy of your, your estate and your, your affairs, going to probably reduce the amount of money that you have to spend. And, in, and, and maybe even most importantly, is it, you're putting your uh, family in the best position to get through a hard time with a little less unrest. So with a little less uh, just potential disagreements and disruptions among their, or their relationships in the wake of, of, of what's going to be a very hard time in the wake of uh, having, having lost a loved one. What what about probate? People always say, you know, I don't want to deal with probate. Um, and I think proper estate planning is one of the key things to avoid this. So what, why do people care so much about probate? Yeah, so probate is the core process. So the, the, that, 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 that someone would go through. So probate is really for managing anything that anyone owns individually in their name. So for, for example, um, if uh, when my mom... Um, dies, um, I, I take her death certificate and walk down to her bank and say, you know, I'm here to let you know my, you know, my mom died and here's her death certificate and I need access to her accounts. I got I to gotta pay some bills and, and uh, take care of some things. And, you know, the bank manager would probably say, I'm so sorry for your loss, but until you're recognized by the courts as having the proper authority, we can't do anything for you. You're going to have to come back. Um, this is true for safety deposit boxes. This is true for any asset owned in someone's individual name. 
Um, so it's a good, I mean, it's a process that ensures that all the heirs are notified of someone's death. There are different levels of probate. And it's true what you say, like depending on your estate plan, it either can be very um, straightforward and a, what would, you know, almost like probate light, what's called a voluntary administration, or it can be a formal probate, which is like probate heavy. And that's a much more involved. It has to do with submitting accountings and a lot of different, a lot of different things have to happen in that. So by- But it has uh, a lot to do with timing too, like settling yeah. if people are trying to get things done and settled, then if- It slows if it, everything down. Right. Sure. During COVID, it was painful, painfully slow. You know, the courts right. were operating on a much different staffing. Um, you couldn't, can't, couldn't go to the court. Um, and things just ground to a halt. I can happily tell you that that's gotten much better, but every county is a little different. So probate is by county. So what might happen to be true in Middlesex, which is where you know I'm located in Lexington, is very different than, than another county. And that just, so it can be, so what does that mean sort of in real terms? What that means is um, it can take up to, you know, a couple of months um, to have access to uh, someone's accounts. Now, probate handles everything that is in someone's individual name. Anything that's in a trust is outside of probate. So if you do have an estate plan, and if you decide to, to go forward with some sort of design that includes some trust-based planning, and you have done all the work that we just talked about in terms of integrating your assets with your trust, that's not going to go through probate. So a family's access to, to, those, to those funds, the ability to step right into the shoes of the decedent person who died is a lot, a lot more straightforward. And that's a lot of the work that we try to you know, help clients with to sort of see the benefits um, to doing that. Um, so that's a that's sort of a quick take on probate. The other thing I would mention too is, um, I think we already talked about this earlier on about the will. That's also where things become public. It's a very public process. You, know, you can see not only the will, but you can see all the other things. You can see who are the children, who are the heirs, who are, the, who are you know, how much, you know, a, a, is, is a bond going to be um, necessary? How much, how much value of the estate is there? So there's a lot of information all of a sudden out there uh, accessible to anyone with a computer. Okay. And, and so uh, that, that's Will. Walk us through just high level the trusts, the trusts, and then the things that are covered in the trust. Yeah. So I'm going to specifically just talk right now about revocable living trusts because there are a lot of different types of trusts. There are irrevocable trusts, there are irrevocable life insurance trusts, and that would take uh, take us off into a whole different realm of, of estate planning that for some people um, is valuable and would make a lot of sense. But just in the world of revocable living trust, um, uh, I'll, I'll share just a few of the sort of, sort of benefits and things that can be built into them um, that can be of value uh, depending on um, everyone's, you know, person's unique sort of situation. But I've already mentioned that there's a privacy element that avoids probate. Um, you know, wills pour into the trust, but you don't know what's in, how the trust is being, or what the, what the trust has in it. It provides, it can provide, it can provide, if it's designed to do so, certain inheritance protections so that your money stays within your family. I guess a way to think about it, even like sort of within the bloodline of your family. So there are protections you can put in uh, to, to, to protect from, say, a divorcing spouse 
from the monies in the trust being accessible to, um, to someone getting divorced. Um, likewise, there are creditor protections that you can, you can design into your trust. If you're concerned about um, whether you have a, um, uh, well, let me put it this way, I'll give an example. Say you have a life insurance policy and uh, save a $100,000 life insurance policy payable to the benefit of your son. And you die, your son gets a check for $100,000 from the life insurance company. Um, that's his money right away. He can do with it as he chooses, which is a, to be a wonderful thing. But if he has any liens against him, if he has a creditor, if he has medical bills he needs to pay, if he was just involved in a lawsuit and he lost, whatever it may be that he owes money, it's accessible to by a creditor. Um, they can reach that money and 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 if they, they prevail, they can they can take it. Um, Juxtaposed to if that had been that policy of payable into the trust. Now he still could be, you know, have access to that as a beneficiary of your trust, but the monies are not going to be um, accessible to those creditors. So if he has um, issues, um, just like I said, um, they would not be able to, provided that the trust was designed with those creditor protections, um, it, it would stay protected from that type of those types of external influences. You also can do things that, you know, if you have a child that you're concerned about um, their gambling habits or they are struggling with mental illness or substance abuse, there are other protections that you can design into your trust to provide for that, to give guidance to the trustee. Um, so they're very uh, customizable, I guess is the best word to put it. And they're helpful too for issues around you know, blended families. Uh, many people may have a second marriage. Both parties may have children. You know, a trust can kind of be designed in a way that um, protects everybody and, and enables um, different assets to go to different people, regardless of, of, uh, of how their family is blended. Um, things around, you know, digital assets and cryptocurrency. Um, these are things to be talking with your estate planning attorney about if you, if you have those types of investments or, or just even what, where you want your digital assets to go and, and digital assets can be your know, photographs. I have a extensive um, photograph uh, library, uh, all digital now, and I want to make sure that goes somewhere um, and stays within my family um, when I die. That's so a way that. for them to access like passwords and things like that, resets exactly. and yeah, yeah exactly. makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and just last piece on this is uh, ancillary probate. So. The other benefit of, of having a trust is that if you own property in another state, so say you're a Massachusetts resident um, and you own property in New Hampshire, um, by transferring that property in New Hampshire to your trust, and that's done by a simple deed, um, you will avoid, your family will avoid after you're gone, having to go through a separate probate in New Hampshire for that property. So that you know, has real value. Um, to, to a family to not have to deal with the hassle of finding an attorney in another state and dealing with probate in another state. And it's just something that you can be really forward thinking about um, with your state plan. That's great. Thank you. Um, so we're coming up, I guess, we haven't talked a lot about estate tax planning. Um, maybe you could just touch briefly on that. And then if there's anything else that you want our listeners to learn about or hear, maybe we could just cover that. Sure thing, yeah. So I mentioned a little earlier that 
Commonwealth of Massachusetts has a as a um, as an estate tax or you know a death tax at anything over a million dollars. Um, any estate planning attorney would be able to do an analysis, sort of a pro forma for you, on what the potential for an estate tax in the state level uh, could be. And depending on what it is, they can provide different strategies through some trusts um, to reduce or eliminate that. So that's something to just really be aware of. And I encourage you, if you haven't, to just explore that with an attorney. At the federal level, right now, the, um, the limit's much higher. It's $11.7 million for an individual, which can double that for a married couple. So you're really talking about high wealth um, estate. Um, but that is going to sunset. That provision is going to drop back down to um, $6.2 million for individual in 2026. So at the federal level, so state taxes are just like our income taxes. There's the state level and there's a federal level. So the federal level within a, you know, a period of a few years, four years, is going to drop down to $6.2 million for individual, over $12 million for a married couple. So it's something to keep track of, to be aware of. And again, talk to um, an estate planning attorney, because there are things that you can do with creating a bypass trust and a marital trust on the death of the survive of the first spouse, you know, say in a marriage, and that can provide um, a reduction in your overall estate tax bill for your family. And it's not that I'm opposed to anyone paying their taxes, but I am very much in favor of people having this information um, to know what the options are and to reduce it. Um, because the reality is like, these are tools that are available and many um, um, people use them. Um, so they should be considered for anybody who's thinking through um, their estate plan. So that's an important thing. And then I always just try to put a plug in for people to connect with their financial advisor or to just do this on their own if they don't have one around beneficiary designations. There has been some recent legislation a couple of years ago, especially in the area of retirement plans. Um, just make sure that those are, are sort of right in, in, in good place that first of all, you have beneficiary designations that you've made them and that they're exactly sort of as they should be. And that sometimes has to do with some tax implications um, and it's unique to every individual situation. So I don't wanna go through sort of what would be broad recommendations because they may not apply to all the listeners, um, but it's very much worth making sure because say, for example, divorce does not matter to Fidelity or to any financial institution. If you still have your ex-husband named as a beneficiary on your policy, he's going to get your retirement account. Uh, 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 however well-crafted your estate plan may be, it will not override who you've named as a beneficiary, for example, of a life insurance policy. So make sure they're up to date with the reality of your life and how exactly you want them to be and, and change them. And, and, you know, and that, that just brings up maybe the final point that wherever you are in this process, um, you know, continue to revisit it um, in terms of what your needs are, what your family's needs are. Um, there are a lot of good tools out there that can help really ensure that you are um, giving everything you own to everyone you love and in the way that you want to do it. Um, and um, so I think I'll, I'll stop there unless, unless you have any other questions for me. No, no, that was great. It was it's super helpful. And, you know, to your point, everyone's situation is different. So I agree. It is super important to make sure you have the right team around you, people you can talk to. It is super important for your 
legal and your your tax folks, your accountants and your financial people to all make sure they're working together. Um, so this has been great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it and um, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Join us every second Tuesday of the month to hear our talks. Each event covers a new topic. Sometimes it's money related and other times it's not. We have speakers ranging from health and wellness to financial planning, taxes, and so much more. The Empower Women series was created by Lexington Wealth Management to offer a space for women to come together and feel supported by one another in a safe, judgment-free environment. When we share our experiences and knowledge, we're able to learn from each other. Our mission is to empower women and girls from all walks of life to speak up, ask questions, and learn. We have seen firsthand the impact that our discussions around life and money have had on women. And with the Empower Women series and the Empower Women series podcast, we hope to reach and help so many more. Lexington Wealth Management is a team of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. All securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is risk-free and there is no guarantee that the investment process described herein will be profitable. Investors, investors may lose all of their investments. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. In preparing these materials, we have relied upon and assumed without independent verification the accuracy and completeness of all information available from public and internal sources. Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to their accuracy or completeness or for statements or errors contained or in omissions from them. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the author and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Third-party links and references are provided solely to share social, cultural, and educational information. Any reference in this post to any person or organization or activities, products, or services related to such person or organization or any linkages from this post to the website of another party do not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring of Lexington Wealth Management or Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates, employees, or contractors acting on its behalf. Hightower Advisors LLC does not guarantee the accuracy or safety of any link site. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the clients' individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions. Copyright 2021 Hightower.